Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. Thanks for joining us for our Friday face-to-face episode. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I'm so excited to welcome Asela Phelps to the show today. Welcome, Asela. Thank you for having me, Marissa. Yeah, of course. Azella earned both her Bachelor of Business and Master's of Management Information Systems from Utah State University. She has been with USU since 2010, where she started as a group fitness instructor. Since that time, she has been an academic advisor, career specialist, and currently works as a ServiceNow developer programmer. She is a first generation college student and an author of several knitting books. So Isela, you mentioned to me that you you were once a knitting and lifestyle blogger. And eventually that actually led to a company in England who found your blog and said, hey, will you write some knitting books for us? So talk to us about your knitting journey. I, I just have to know more about this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. From all this stuff that you just said, it just reminded me, goodness gracious, this person must be super old. No, I just oh. have to move from one thing to another. <laughs> one of those people that is given an opportunity and is like, sure, let's try it. Why not? Let's see. Um, my knitting, it, had, it was really out of the blue. I started a blog back in the day when they were super popular. I had my firstborn and I didn't have anyone to connect with outside of home. And blogging at that time was huge. And it was a great way for me to have that social interaction with other people. So I started writing about things that I was doing on my regular life, which was knitting. Next thing I know, I receive an email from someone in England asking me if I want to write a book about knitting. And first, you know, you're like, oh, this is a scam. This cannot be true. <laughs> Who is going to write you from England? I mean, we all receive those emails that you have a great, great uncle that is, has left you some grand inheritance, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I email back, you know, hesitant. I'm like, I don't know if this is real, but I don't, I don't want to waste the opportunity. Next thing I know, I had a contract in my hand to write a book on knitting and thankfully I mean I have been knitting now since for many years let's just say over 20 years <laughs> at that point my grandmother taught me how to knit when I was little and since then I just started picking up different patterns and just knitting them or I would just go out, walk outside and say you know what I need a hat and you get inspiration from anything outside or inside at home and next thing you know you're creating and well I created my first book and then Next thing I know, there was about a dozen books out there on knitting. Oh my goodness. One of those things that if you ask me and it is on the moment, I am a very spur of the moment person. Say, sure, let's try it. Why not? So, Isabella, this month we are talking about building career confidence, and I'd really like to start our conversation off today by going back to your college experience. I know that you have a really touching story about how you ended up in school, and so I'd love for you to share that story with us today, if that's okay. Sure. It will be, I'll make it brief. So I first, my mother left the Mexico to come to the United States when I was about nine years old. I remember it because it was the Olympics of 1986 in Mexico, that it was being held in Mexico. And I was so excited. Anyways, she emigrated. And next thing, I was 15 years old later on. And I was lost in Mexico. So my mom brought me to the United States. Unfortunately, I did not speak a word of English. I learned one word. In the plane, and that word was cheeseburger. All you need to know. (laughs) 
once I was in the United States, I thought I was going to go to school. You know, as you're a teenager, you think you're going to have the regular teenage life of going to school. But unfortunately, I was not given that opportunity. I was told that I had to go and work because that's what you do when you immigrate to another country. You try to help your family back in your origin country. So I started working at a factory and it was not what I wanted to do. I I mean, I was earning a living. I was paying for my own home, for my own food. And it was great. I mean, I was, I was at 15 years old. I was considered already an adult providing for myself. But I knew that that wasn't something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I would sit down and I would cry and think, you know, I, I can't do this. I can't do this for the next 50, 60 years. I can do it, but I don't want to do it. I want more out of life. And with that, it had to, there had to be changes such as learning the language, going to school, but me going to school meant that I couldn't work full time. That meant that I had to rely upon other people to provide for me, which in this case, it meant to ask my mom, which I know in our society, we think that's the responsibility of a parent to provide for their children. But in our culture, it's a little bit different that once you reach a certain age and you're able to do it, you have to provide for yourself. So I had to ask her and beg her to put me in school, which at the time, you know, you're thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be in school. Everything's going to be smooth sailing from now on. Anyway, she registered me for school, and I knew that that was going to be my full-time job. I knew that she was relying upon me to succeed at this one task that she was giving me the opportunity to do. Unfortunately, I didn't realize that all the classes were in English. Duh. I mean, it makes sense, right? (laughs) Here in the United States, it's a completely different language. It was tough. It was really, really rough. I spent the first two years basically learning the language. Everything that I had to do, I would read it in English. Then I would translate it with a dictionary every night. And then I would translate back all my writings. I lived on Folgers Coffee. (laughs) That was four years. I slept an average of about three hours a night just so that I could do my homework. And I really needed to show that I could do it. I, they were giving me an opportunity. My mother was giving me an opportunity and I needed to show that I was willing to do the work necessary to succeed at this one opportunity. So I finished high school, actually during that last year in high school and during my senior year, I realized that I wanted to go to college. But in order to go to college, first of all, you need money to attend college or someone to provide for that money. And that was something that was not possible for anyone in my family. I tried to apply for scholarships, but due to the legalization of where I came from, I didn't have the legal means to apply for a school loan or even for grants. Thankfully, there was someone that knew my family closely and they provided, she provided for my first semester's tuition. And that was, I'm going to get teary-eyed here. That was something that no one needed to do for me. But when she did that, I realized that there are people out there willing to help you when they see that you are willing to put in the work. I mean, for four years in high school, I can say that I burned my eyeballs out, (laughs) learning the language, trying to get good grades. I graduated in the top 10% of my high school and with a few AP classes, one of them including English. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) And it was hard. It's not easy, but I believe that any student, anyone out there can do it as long as they have that support system behind them. 
But once you get to college, it's a completely different story. You don't, you definitely need to have someone who knows the ropes. Now, I don't know if you want to move to the next question. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a perfect lead in because, yeah, my next question was, so all of that, I would say, was um, amazingly full of challenges. And then to take it a step further, so then you enter this um, application period of trying to get into college. Um, and then once you're in college, that's a challenge in and of itself. So I'm really curious, yeah, what, what were some of the challenges, especially as a first generation student, what were some of those challenges of getting in and maybe staying in college? So one of the first challenges was definitely during the senior year in high school where I realized that my transcript, my school resume was classes. That was it. I didn't have anything else, but I can say that I had a good reason for that at that point because my focus was trying to learn the language. My focus was trying to get the grades so that I can move on through the school and then show my family that their older sacrifice was worth it, that it, it was coming to something. But then during that senior year, I realized that I didn't have anything beyond schooling. So then my counselor at the time, which I believe in academic counselors and counselors 100%, they are there to help all along the way. They have been there many years. They have done it themselves. They have either experienced good counseling themselves or bad counseling. And and then they bring all that experience in. So they're able to help quite a bit. Anyways, I sat down with her. And she simply said, you know, you stand a good chance of getting in, but there is nothing on your resume, school resume, that says that you went outside and did extracurriculars. Of course, she knew my background. She knew that I had spent the first two years learning the language. So our focus was trying to get into all the different clubs that I could and so that I could add certain things to my school resume. You know, I joined the math league, the chess league, different little things that could add different things to my resume, such as the business council. And this is in New York, so it's a little bit different. Future Business of America. And I became quite involved in them to the point that I became an officer in a few of them. So it's one of those things where you're, you're starting, you don't know what you're doing, but then you realize, you know what, I can do more than what I'm doing than just becoming a member. That's not enough. You got to become involved. So that really helped. So in respect to getting into college, my counselor was key. She was definitely key in that, in which she directed me to different places where I could get those reference letters (laughs) to get in. That is one thing where my teachers came in handy. They knew me because I was always with them all the time asking questions. So they were able to write those reference letters for me. But once I was in college, you have all new people and you have to become involved. You have to speak up. And that was hard. That was really hard, mainly because I was afraid that people wouldn't understand me. I still have an accent, as you can hear it right now. (laughs) But that was about three years, four years after I started speaking the language. So my accent was a little bit thicker and I felt very strange. I didn't want to speak out loud. I was concerned that people would question what I was saying. So I was always quiet. But then I became involved because of one of the clubs that I belonged in high school. It had grown up version in in college. And I became involved in that one. And it's the Golden Key National Honor Society. And the counselor, the advisor of that club was instrumental in my success of my college career. To this day, he, we chat through Facebook all the time. 
he's very involved and he was very involved then with all the officers at the time. Yes, I became an officer of that club too. Because again, I don't believe in just tapping into it. You're going to go all in or nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So yes, some of the difficulties of being a first generation student is that you don't know how college works. You don't know that you have to apply each semester for classes and that you have to choose those classes. There is not someone out there choosing them for you, which is what happens in high school. There is no one out there reminding you, hey, not not you have homework due tomorrow. It is up to you to do it, which is great, but it's bad at the same time. Yes. And this leads in into the next question that I wanted to ask, which was, so I know you started out in one major and then ended up kind of switching, especially I think it had to do with when you switched schools. So yeah. talk to us about finding a major that works for you. Okay. So this is quite interesting. So I actually started in computer science. <laughs> and after I took my first C++ class, I realized, you know what? I am barely having a grasp of the English language. I don't think I can handle a language that doesn't even have real words <laughs> in Spanish or English. So after about the second semester, I switched to a business major because I figured, you know what? It's English words that I have to read. I can definitely handle this. And I can talk to people, even if it's shyly, I can still talk to them. So it's a little bit better. So I switched to business degree just because I couldn't, at the time, switching from one language to another language was very, very difficult for me. You're learning a new language. And I had just barely gone through four years of doing that. And college in itself was hard already. I mean, you're taking classes that are way above the level from high school, obviously. So I switched from that. Then in my junior year in college, I took a geology class and I fell in love with it. That's all I ever wanted to do. I realized, you know, I want to be a geologist. I love the outside. I want to go outside. Uh, That's the way I see myself spending my life. And so I decided to look for a school that had a geology major. And at this point, my world had expanded beyond New York City. I could do anything I wanted. And I have to say that this was because I was so involved in my club, in that Golden Key National Honor Society, that they were able to open so many doors by tapping into different resources. They gave me information about different schools. Next thing I know, it was December and I came on a tour to Utah State because apparently they have one of the best geology majors, at least they did at the time. (laughs) So here I was, I came and toured Utah State and I fell in love with it. Despite all the snow, it was magical. I was coming through the mountains, coming through Sardine, getting into the valley, and all I could see was the mountains. And I knew at that moment that that was my new home. So after I got back to New York, I put in a transfer and I got into Utah State for a geology major. Unfortunately, once I got here that fall, (laughs) my advisor, which was 100% correct, all of the credits transfer, but they're not applicable to the degree. So I was basically going to start from scratch as a sophomore again. Just a few classes transferred and I was not going to do that to myself. At this point, I was paying for my schooling via school loans. And that was 
very hard. I knew that I couldn't do, I couldn't add to that tab <laughs> for extra years. So I switched back to business and I started pursuing the BIS major, business information systems. So I went back to the original thing, but then I got married and then I was expecting <laughs> And I realized that if I went into BIS, by the time I went back to the school, to the workforce, my degree will be completely obsolete. So I made a quick decision and I switched back to just regular business administration, something that was solid, something that doesn't change very much, at least not as much as technology. And I graduated (laughs) with my business administration degree and marketing minor. That's amazing. Well, and it's so interesting, you know, as a career coach, I talk to students all the time. And so we're constantly talking about majors and career paths. And, and I am so much of a planner. And I know our listeners are well aware that I love to plan. If I could plan five, 10 years in advance, I would be doing that. But what I've found is that life doesn't really allow for that far in advance of planning. And sometimes, I guess, maybe in rare cases it does. But I think to your point, so often we we are playing it day by day and that plan might change day to day or month to month. And so what I love from as I'm listening, I'm just thinking, wow, she really gained that skill of flexibility and that skill of adapting to different circumstances. So I absolutely love that. And kind of along the same vein, I I really would love to move into your career path because you've had a really interesting career path thus far. As I mentioned, you were a fitness trainer for USU. You've been an author. um, You've been an academic advisor, career specialist, director of client relations. So I'd love in one word, describe your career path just in one word, and then tell us why it's that word. One word. I would choose adaptable. Okay, and why? (laughs) You know, in life, you're given many opportunities. I mean, from the little bit that we have been discussing, life will give you different opportunities along the way. And you have a choice each time. You can take them or leave them. But as you take them, you have to adapt. You have to be flexible and be willing to do your very best. I don't mean my children sometimes say, well, your very best means an A. No, that doesn't mean an A. It means you give it your 100% where tomorrow morning you wake up and you say to yourself, I did everything I could to succeed at this one task. And with my career, as you can see, I've been a fitness instructor. That also came out of the blue. A friend asked me, do you want to go and take this training? And she said, is this weekend? I'm like, sure, let's try it. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? (laughs) Uh, The worst is that you end up teaching about 20 classes a week. (laughs) But the best is that you end up teaching at Utah State and you end up with a class of about 80 students. And it is so amazing to feel their energy. So yeah, it is about adapting, learning about yourself and knowing that you can change gears. And I don't, some people see adaptability as being wishy-washy. That's not what it is. It means that you are willing, you're going on this path, but you know what? This path has this little branch, but then it comes right back on that, that main path. So take that side branch and see where it takes you and then go back into the main road again. 
Love those thoughts. And I want to ask a follow-up question and I didn't prepare you for this one at all. So <laughs> curveballs all day. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about this skill, especially in times of COVID-19 where um, everything has kind of been flipped upside down. We're not doing anything the way that we usually would. And so with that in mind, I, I would agree that adaptability is probably a top skill. Um, but what advice would you give to students as they are trying to maybe learn how to be adaptable in these unchanging or in these ever-changing times? I think one of the advice I will give them is to have grace. I, I don't know if that's a proper word to use in this setting. Have grace for yourself. Realize that you are, this is new to all of us. We are all in this river that no one has ever kayaked down to. It is going to be turbulent at times. And if you fall, guess what? We all fall down. Get up get back up, get on that canoe and keep going and have grace. Realize that you are doing the best that you can at this point in time. Yes, some other people may be doing something completely different and you may see them standing up on that kayak and not falling. It's fine. Don't focus on them. Focus on yourself. Focus on the little improvements that you're doing every single day. I love that. And that I I think also leads into another question that I wanted to ask. As you're reflecting back on your career thus far, I'd love to hear about any particular moments, um, maybe it's at work or maybe elsewhere, that you really built your confidence. And again, this could be professionally or personally, um, but have there ever been moments where you're just like, oh, like I I can do this? (laughs) (laughs) There are many of those moments along my life so far, uh, and I am so grateful for every single one of them. I think I want to go back to when I was an academic advisor, which by the way, to this day is one of the best jobs out there. Being in touch with those students on a daily basis and being able to help them to realize that one dream that they have, that they realize that they have it in them, their potential is in them. Someone just needs to say, come back, open up. (laughs) (laughs) The moment when confidence, okay. There was this one day where my supervisor came and knocked on my door. I had only been working there for about six months, less than six months. And she came in and sat down and she asked me, she just sat there and asked, she's like, is there anything I can do to make your job easier? Is there anything that I can do to make you feel more fulfilled? And we just sat down and we chatted about how my work was going and how I enjoyed being with the students. And she simply, you know, she just said to me, students love coming to see you. Have you seen the numbers? Yes, everyone loves numbers, you know? Yeah, everyone loves numbers nowadays. Analytics is everything. But sure enough, I, after she stepped out of my office, I pulled out the numbers of my appointments and I realized that many of them were, were repeats. And then I opened my emails and I realized that they were reaching out to me. They were trusting me, asking me questions. And it is such a simple thing that I didn't even realize that it was happening. Maybe because it was a daily thing, you know, yeah, answer an email, answer another email. And then the students would come in, you know, later on. And I remember about their life without me even looking at my notes. And we would see each other outside. Many of them uh, have graduated by now. There's a couple of them still hanging on, doing some master's degrees and some PhDs. And they see me and they actually stop and talk to me. And that is such a gift. 
that's when I realized that I did make a difference. And each one of those moments is a confidence builder to me. Another confidence builder when I was applying for my master's and I was talking to one of my students who was going for her master's herself. And she's like, look at you. And she's like, she said, uh, saying, which you're probably going to edit out, but she's like, look at you, <laughs> kicking butt and taking names. <laughs> and it was so fun. She's like, I look up to you all the time, Isela. You are doing it, so I am going to do it. I'm like, no, I'm looking up to you. I am doing it because you're doing it. And it is those tiny little moments. It is not big things. It is small things that make you realize that you are doing a good job that you are making a difference. And more, more recently in one of my forms, so I no longer have one-to-one -one contact with students. And that is very hard for me, extremely difficult for me. But more recently, about a year ago, I released a form that a lot of the students use. And I don't, I really never saw it until one of my coworkers told me, like, you know, that one form has been touched by over 4,000 students. And yes, it's great. It is great. That was a confidence builder right there. I am still doing what I set out to do to help others. I absolutely love are on the same path as me. Yes, I absolutely love and appreciate all of these specific examples. And I know we're getting really personal. So I really appreciate you sharing these things. I think it's so helpful to hear how it sounds. I mean, we talk about confidence all the time, whether it's in the classroom or at work or at the gym or wherever else, but to actually hear these examples is just, uh, I'm just loving this. So I, I really appreciate that. And I'd like to even zoom out just a little bit further and looking at your children, I'm curious, what do you hope your children have learned about building confidence as they have watched you? You know, I have a four-year-old, a 16-year-old, and now an 18-year-old. My hopes is that as they keep growing, because they're still, I mean, I still have a toddler, that they realize that they can accomplish anything. If they set out themselves for success, they have to realize that it is in them. They have the potential to accomplish anything they desire, but they have to put in the work. And that not only goes to my children, but to every, every youth out there. They all come with abilities they just need to be able to utilize those abilities for the best, for their own path. Absolutely. Well, Azala, I am sad to say our time is, is running out quickly, but I do have one final question that I want to ask you. And that question is, if you could give one piece of advice to students about building career confidence, what would it be? Take it one day at a time. Each day, write one thing that you accomplished, that you are proud of, and hold on to that one thing for those hard days. Absolutely love that. Well, Asala, I have learned so much from your, your stories and your wisdom. I, I truly am so grateful to have you on the show today and, and know that people are, are taking note of what you're sharing and, and it's changing people for the better. So again, I just want to say a huge, huge thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us here at the Career Studio today. Please remember to join us next week as we continue to discuss this month's theme of building career confidence.